You want to hear some fun stories? Good stuff? What God's doing? You know, people ask me all the time, they say, are we going to have enough parking? Because you really don't see the parking and you can't really kind of put it all together. And, and you know, we've had a few people that have uh, let us know that we're gonna, they're going to let us use their parking lots nearby. So I got a call from uh, one of the owners, property owners, uh, right on the same side of the street, really close. And she said, um, could I rent some parking places from you Monday through Friday? And we'll pay you the regular going rate for them. And I'm thinking in my head that it can't be that much. And I said, why don't I just let you use them? Why don't you just use them? Really? And I said, yeah. And what are, you, are you guys open on Sunday? Which I knew they weren't. They said, no. And I said, well, what if you just use those free, and on Sunday we use your parking places free, and we'll write up a little agreement, a little contract, and it'll all be good. And she said, oh, that'll be great. I'll be glad to do that. So I left her a voicemail last week, and she didn't call me back. And I thought, oh, no, I blew the deal somehow. And uh, so I called her back, and she said, oh, I was wondering if you were going to call me because she didn't get my voicemail. She said, I thought you didn't want to do the deal. Let me think about this. Twelve for 80. Yeah, I think I want to do that deal. Then we have another uh, building also that looks like going to give us their 75. So to put it in perspective, we're going to have about 350 parking places. That's three acres of parking. Now, I don't know if you know, that really computes. That's almost what we have out here when you go all the way over to to Ranch and all the way over to 24-Hour Fitness. That's how much we have, and it was free. I mean, think about that. So this week, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, we, we were planning Christmas. Here's the next big thing. We are planning Christmas. We thought, wouldn't it be cool to have a big Christmas tree lighting? You know, like a community-wide Christmas tree lighting, and then on the side of the building there to, to rent snow machines and have a sledding hill for the kids. I mean, I just thought it would be just really cool because, you know, we want winter, but we don't want it that much. We just want a little bit of winter, you know, and we want it in 70-degree weather. So, uh, so we put this idea together. We'd get the tree, and we'd, we didn't have any logistics worked out, but, but we knew we could pull it off. So this week we were in a meeting. Tammy was in a meeting with some people from Anaheim uh, uh, and talking about some of the things that are happening in the world of kind of human trafficking and, and homeless. There's about 3,000 homeless children that live in, in hotels in Anaheim. You may not know about that. But uh, there's a lot of things going on in our city that we need to be concerned about. You know, you don't have to go uh, very far outside of, uh, of where we live to find people in great need. And we want to be a church that meets those needs any way we can. So in the process of putting some of those kind of things together that we're working on, uh, unbeknownst to us and to them, uh, that is the city, that uh, what they've uh, done is they were planning on having a Christmas tree lighting and planning on also having at the same time a, uh, a sledding hill, and they were going to do it on exactly the same day. So as it turns out, it looks like we're going to partner with the city of Anaheim for a Christmas tree lighting and a snow hill. Is that great? And so God has just kind of given us an extended favor in our world. And I really believe this truth, that when you walk in the Spirit of God, God is going to open up doors that you don't expect. I think when you don't walk in the Spirit, you expect Him to open all these doors, and then you get frustrated because He doesn't. 
The idea is to start moving in the, in the presence of God and saying, God, what are you doing? And how can I be a part of that? And how are you leading me? And trying to see with spiritual eyes what God is up to. And when you do that, God will begin to open up things that you never really thought he would. The message today is, is entitled, It's Time to Act. We've all had those moments in our life when we've stepped back and we, we haven't done something we should have done. We look back and we said, I wish I would have acted in that moment. I wish I would have done something right then. When I was uh, in between uh, kind of trying to figure college out, I'd done a couple of years and then uh, doesn't, didn't really know what I was going to do, so I, uh, I dropped out of school and my dad said I need to get a job. And I thought that was a good idea, and uh, so did he especially. So there were no jobs in Denver, Colorado. It was January. I quit right after Christmas term, and, and, I, and so there was just no jobs at all. And I look in the paper, and I see this one, and it's washing cars at a car dealership. And I said, that sounds like a great job. You know, you just probably pull them into the bays, and the brushes come around and brush everything off, you know, and you dry it off maybe a little bit. Maybe they got a blower on that thing. And, and it just sounded like a really good job. I can drive new cars around. And, you know, for a young guy, it sounded like a pretty good deal. And it would get my dad off my back, more importantly. So uh, anyway, I go down there and I get the job and, and I said, uh, okay, well, like, what, what do I do first? And he said, well, you go ahead and start washing those cars. I said, well, do I bring them in and put them? No. He says, no, there's a hose over there. Now remember, it's like 30 degrees. It's cold in Denver. And I start washing these cars. My hands are freezing. My boots are getting ice on them. And I'm thinking, this is not a good job. And so I'm trying, I'm thinking, thinking about the money. I'm getting minimum wage. This is really not a good job at all. And I didn't have the guts to go tell the guy that I was quitting. So I looked when no one was looking and I ran to my car as fast as I could and the job was over because I realized it was time to act. I was not gonna wash cars through the winter and I went back to school and figured that that was the best thing for me to do altogether. What is it in your life that you need to act on? What is it in your life that you need to do? That you've put off that you've delayed, that if you keep delaying doing it, it's going to have severe spiritual consequences in your life. Let me tell you some reasons why I think it's important to act in, in globally in terms of what we're doing in our world. One of them is the time is late. You know, we don't have to really take too much notice to see that something's wrong in our world. Things aren't working right. The recent shutdown of the government reminds us that there are a lot of people that have been elected and are being paid on a regular basis who do not know what they're doing. And that should cause you, first of all, to be a little bit alarmed at that, but also should remind you the time is short. Logic isn't working right. God is not honored, and things are just not going the way we thought they would. The time is late. The situation in the world demands that we act in the power of God in the world that we live in, in our own family, in our own community, and around the world. Also, it's time to act because man without God is lost. He's separated from Christ. And there is no hope of salvation apart from Jesus Christ. It's not something that we just kind of think about, then we find ourselves in eternity and we work it out there. The Bible says it is appointed to all men to die once and then the judgment. There are consequences for ignoring and rejecting Jesus Christ. But also, our faith is activated 
with the promises of God. When you take your faith and you attach it to the promises of God, what happens is your faith begins to activate what God has spoken, and God begins to move in the direction of your faith. And faith builds upon faith, just like miracles follow miracles. And so when you establish yourself in this foundation of faith, you're going to see God do some pretty great stuff. Now, the passage for today is from Luke chapter 9. And it's one of those unusual and in some ways difficult passages. Look what it says, beginning in verse 57. Now, it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him. Now, Jesus drew a crowd wherever he went. They're always looking to see, was he going to work a miracle, and what was he teaching, and when would he kind of reveal who he really was? So it wasn't unusual that as they journeyed along, someone saw him, and they probably were a fan. They probably thought, I'm a fan of Jesus, and I want to be a part of Jesus' movement, and so it says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. That's what fans do until the team starts to lose. And then the fans change hands and they move in another direction. And Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now what's interesting, it doesn't tell you the response of the man. He doesn't say, I'm good with that. It just leaves you hanging, wondering, because part of the teaching style of Jesus is to, pre is to present a question or present a statement and then allow you to, to, to think about what is being said there. Do I really want to follow Jesus if the Son of Man, the leader, does not have a place he can call home? That he literally is wandering from village to village teaching uh, about the kingdom of God but has no place to lay his head. Verse 59, then, another, then he said to another, follow me. But he said, let me go first bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now that seems like a very harsh statement. I mean, the guy's father just died. Jesus, can't you have a little compassion on this guy? And this is the only one of the three where Jesus calls him out. The other ones say, we'll follow you. But he says to this one man, I think he looks into his soul, he looks into his life, and he says, you need to get serious about your commitment to God. You need to follow me. And then he says, well, let me go first bury my father. Now, undoubtedly, a Jewish man, he would bury by sundown. We don't know what time of day it was, whether it was 8 o'clock in the morning or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, but at sundown, that was all done. Wonder if Jesus looked into his life and knew it was just an excuse. Maybe he looked into his life and said, your father's not even dead yet. But something more is going on in this story, but what he did was he used a shock technique here to get his attention. He said, that's really not the issue, is it? Because obviously, dead cannot bury the dead. There's something more to the story. We'll find out a little bit later. Verse 61, and another, he said, Lord, I will, I will follow you. And he said, but first let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. In other words, hey, I'm willing to go wherever you want, but I'm just going to go say goodbye. That's all I want to do, just say goodbye because they'll wonder what happened to me. And that seems reasonable to me, doesn't it, to you? Reasonable request. But Jesus said unto him, no one having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow, this guy is radical, isn't he? Don't you think that is radical? 
that sounds a little bit different than, than the kind of Christianity we're living out. I think we're living out a Christianity that's more fan-based than fanatic-based. We're more interested in our own personal comfort than what Jesus really said. Now, what precedes this particular passage of Scripture is Jesus' intent to go to Jerusalem, and he's warning the disciples he's going to be killed. He's going to be crucified. And it says he put his face like flint toward Jerusalem. In other words, he was not going to let anything detract him, and he created this mindset of, we have to be about the commitment of the kingdom of God because if we don't, something's not going to happen that needs to happen among men and women. So let's look at this for a moment. The journey that we're on reveals the cost. The cost is great. I fear that we don't pay a big enough price. Jesus' concern for each was that they would for, what they would forfeit by rejecting the kingdom. I don't want you to think about how strong he was. I want you to think about he knew what was best for every person. And he said, if you don't follow me, you're going to forfeit the very best there is. And I'm, that breaks my heart. Those of you who have children, you know sometimes they make decisions you don't like and you know is not in their best interest. And you try to do everything you can to move them in the direction of what is good and what is right and what is best. And sometimes your children don't see it at all. They can't see it. But you still reach out and you try to say, and this is the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is looking into your life and my life. And he's saying, you know, this is not what's best for you. If you will move in this direction, you're going to find the very best you can. Because Jesus looks into our life and he sees the effect of sin. He sees what it does to us. It doesn't have to be overt sin. It can be just holding a grudge. I know people, people in this church, who haven't spoken to their father or their mother in years. Holding a grudge, that's sin. Well, you don't know my father my mother. You're right, I don't know. But it's incumbent upon you to do everything you can to make that situation right. You see, when we hold on to things, what it really does, it's not hurting somebody else, it's hurting us. It's keeping us from our full kingdom potential. You see, there is a price that we pay for the freedom we have to do what we want to do. On one occasion, Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me daily. That sounds like serious commitment stuff. He also knew there was deception, that there is a deceiver in this world. In 1 John 3, 8, he said this, for this purpose, the Son of, man, man of, uh, Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the evil one. Why did Jesus come? To destroy the works of evil in this world. So listen to this carefully. There is an eternal dimension about you that needs to find a sense of value and purpose in this world. There is an eternal dimension in you that needs to find a sense of value and purpose in this world. And if you do that just barely off-center, you'll eventually end up in the wrong place. You'll name the name of Christ, but you'll miss out on what God really wants to do in your life. God has woven into our hearts an eternal destiny. We were made more than just to exist on planet Earth. 
The attraction that people had to Jesus was the attraction that he spoke to their destiny. He could look into them and say, you have more going for you than you think you do. I have a grander purpose for your life than you think you do. And I want to fulfill that purpose. And that attraction is undeniable. The attraction we have to Jesus, even the world has this attraction to Jesus. Just open up the Sermon on the Mount, read that, and the entire world seems to think that's wonderful. There's an attraction to Jesus. Not an attraction to church. Not an attraction to Christianity. There's an attraction worldwide to Jesus. And as we, if we can just use that, you see, allow people to see that Jesus and us, instead of trying to force them into this Christian box or force them into this church box, present Jesus to them. And that becomes attractive. Because you see, we have to steward the supernatural power of God in us for someone else. We have to steward the supernatural power of God that is in us for, on the behalf of someone else. Because the real cost in life is not following Christ. That's the real cost. What happens if I don't follow him? And the reason we hunger for the presence of God, and when we get in his presence, we say, I don't want to ever leave this presence of God. It is because that's what we were made for. And it's not something that happens in eternity. It's something that happens now and here and, and then and there. But we hunger for the presence of God. So people followed Jesus everywhere. They couldn't get enough of Jesus. Your actions, however, will always reveal your beliefs. You see, if I talk about Jesus, I believe a lot in Jesus. If I talk about other stuff, I may not believe as much in Jesus as I say I do. And I'm not trying to say you have to fill up 24 hours a day talking about Jesus and everything's a Bible verse. I mean, give me a break. That's not what we're talking about. What I'm talking about is what consumes your heart. What's the passion of your heart? Had a guy stop me in a local coffee shop the other day. He came up to me and he said, hey, I noticed that you pray with a lot of people. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? I know this guy's first name. That's all I know. Only because they call his coffee out. It's the only way I know his name. Would you pray for me? Nobody ever expects you're going to pray right then and there. They expect you to go, I sure will. And then you forget. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I forgot about a lot of prayers that people ask me to pray. But when I pray right then, I never forget. All right, well, let's pray right now. He goes, here, now? Well, yeah, are you afraid somebody will see you? No, no, no. I think he was, but no, no, no. No, I'm not afraid of that. I said, well, then let's pray. And I put my arm around this big burly guy and I'm just praying. And I, I always pray a little bit louder <laughs> so people know we're praying. And I prayed something like this. Oh, Lord, thou who knowest fire will drop from heaven and consume every guilty sinner in this place. I didn't really, but it's always tempting to kind of pour it on a little bit. You know what action does? Action creates momentum in the kingdom. When you start acting in kingdom ideas and principles and power, it activates a momentum that just keeps rolling and it doesn't stop. And that's what you want to do. You want to activate kingdom power. 
Also, I found that there's no, ex no shortage of excuses in my life or your life. Have you noticed that? There's always some reason. Let's go back and look at the excuses these guys gave. The first one was, uh, you know what? I, I really, uh, I don't know. Foxes, they have a place and birds have a place, but this guy just vanishes. And I think excuse number one is you have to count the cost if you're going to follow Jesus. There are financial concerns. It will cost you something. We were at the mall the other day, and we're walking around, and people had like dozens of bags, you know, with, um, you know, I mean, from Nordstroms and everything else. And Tammy said, "Man, I don't know how people afford all this." And I, I simply said, "They don't tithe." I give you the tithe for monthly shopping, and you do, you'd have bags. That's true. It is true statement. We made a decision when we first came to faith in Christ. But the first tenth of every dollar we made was going to go to Jesus. That's what he's talking about. There is a count the cost dimension to following Jesus. Could I use that money every month? Absolutely I could use that money. Some months more than other. But I made a decision to follow Jesus. Excuse number two. I got to go bury my dad. It's a good excuse, I think. If it's legitimate, I don't think it was. I think that's why Jesus said what he said. But I think that excuse is, is a reminder. There are critical moments of decision that have to be taken care of. And if you don't, you're going to miss it. Have you ever had something emotionally move you and you go, I'm going to do that? And then the emotion dies down and you never do that. You never make that decision in your life. Thomas Edison said this, many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. I'm going to say that. I'm going to put that in the spiritual realm and say, you don't know how close you are to spiritual success and you give up sometimes on prayer or on your commitment. See, we said from the beginning, we don't want to be a church just like every other church where you kind of get an easy, get a pass on it. I, you know, I'd rather make it really Jesus heavy, hard and hit hard, and then you deal with get mad at Jesus. We got enough easy pass churches. It's time we look at what Jesus really said and said, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to make a serious commitment to Jesus. He says, let the dead bury the dead. Harsh words, but maybe he saw past his response and he saw his heart. Maybe he saw many other times. Maybe he had been in the crowd a dozen times and said exactly the same thing. And Jesus saw past that and said, I remember you. That's why I called you out. That's why I called your name out. Maybe he saw into him and saw his pain. He said, that pain that's inside of you is never going to be alleviated unless you follow me. Because you're, you're medicating everything you have in life with the things that don't work and don't last. Maybe he saw his loneliness and said, you need to be in community. And you're always over there by yourself. And if you get in this community, this Jesus community, you're going to feel that need of loneliness in your life. I don't know what he saw. But some things in your life need to die. I'm going to say to you and to me, some things in our life needs to die. They've lived long enough. We've made excuses for them long enough. Sometimes we're emotionally tied to the past. And whether it was a relationship, a job, an opportunity, a great experience, but we're emotionally tied, that has to die in your life if you're ever going to move forward. You can't live in the past. 
His circumstances were restricting his future. What in your life right now in your circumstances are, is restricting your future? And I don't mean you doing what you want to do. I mean dying on the cross. I sat down with a couple who'd gone through a year of marriage counseling, and they told me that they had, didn't need any more counseling. They had all they needed, but I was going to do their ceremony. And I said, well, I've got to do at least a little bit here to feel like I've got something going in your life, and I know something about you. I said, I'm going to tell you one thing. It's the most successful thing. You'll only need it. It'll be better than one year of counseling you've already had. And they looked at each other and laughed. Because I was going to tell them one thing in five minutes, and it was going to be better than a year's worth of counseling. I'm going to tell you what I told them. There's only one key to great marriages. Every day you have to die to self. And anything less than that will create friction in your marriage. If you die to self, you can have a good marriage. It's when self rises up is when the marriage starts to fail. And it becomes this, ego battling ego like this. Who's going to be right? And you have to do this. It has to be the power of the cross. You have to die daily on the cross in order to live unto him. That's why Paul said, I carry about in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of the Lord Jesus might be revealed in me. Resurrection, we got to be resurrected. What shall we do? Shall we continue in sin? Paul said in Romans 6 that sin might, might grow and abide in us. Far be it from us. For we who have died unto Jesus must live also unto Jesus. So Romans 6.11 says, so you must reckon yourselves dead unto sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. We have to live that life. Excuse number three. Sin found in verse 62, no one having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. My granddad was a farmer, farmed 500 acres from the time he was 13 till he was 88 all by himself. He put me on a tractor when I was about 11 years old, showed me a little bit about how to plow and then turned me loose, sat on the back fender and turned me loose. I'm driving this tractor, could barely see over the steering wheel, didn't know anything about it. Last thing on God's earth I wanted to do. When I grew up, it was fun as when you're 11 or 12. And I'm driving this thing. I'm looking back, see how I'm doing. Shaking my head. I'm doing pretty good. I'm driving ahead. He doesn't say a word. We get to the other end. He says, all right, now turn around. We're going to do another row. And I turned, around, turned the tractor around, looked down that, and it was just as crooked as can be. I said, what? what there's something wrong with the plow, granddad? Nothing wrong with the plow. It's your eye. The key to plowing is you have to pick a point out in the future and you don't take your eye off that. You don't turn around for any reason. The plow will follow the tractor. You keep your eye on whatever's ahead. That's what Jesus was saying. Plow work is hard work. It's focused work. Don't look back. You see, he was already looking back before he was volunteering to go forward. I think one of the most dramatic uneasy kind of scriptures that Jesus has in Luke chapter 17. He's talked about the return of Christ. And then it's just one little verse. It's verse 32, and it says this, remember Lot's wife. That's all it says in that verse. Now, it explains a little bit further, and the context helps you to understand what's going on. Remember Lot's wife. 
And many of you know that story about Lot and, and how the angels delivered him out there of Sodom and, and his wife longing for Sodom. Her heart never left Sodom. She looked back and scripture says she was turned into a pillar of salt. The next verse says this, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I got to lose in order to win. I got to quit in order to, to gain. I've got I've to quit living for me. Jesus said, unless a, a, a grain of, of, of corn falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Something's got to die in you. What is it? Something's got to die in me. You see, we got to push beyond the boundaries of the past. Past is gone. It never's coming back. Never coming back. Grab God's plan for your future. Put your arms around what God is doing. God is doing fresh stuff. Third thing I want you to see is focus on the goal. You see, it's all about going in the direction of the kingdom of God. There is a law of unlimited supply in God's universe. I know Al Gore is frustrated with the weather. He just can't get it right. You know, he, he tries to do everything he can to make it right. You know, he, he predicts this global catastrophe, and then we have good weather. So he makes light bulbs so he can sell a lot of money. And then he sells his, his TV network to Al Jazeera. He's just such a model American. But I want you to know in God's kingdom, there is, a, there is a rule of unlimited supply. It works like this. The only concept of measurement you need in your life is this. God's infinite ability and capacity. God's infinite ability and capacity is your only rule of measurement. God is a God of increase. You can be without a penny and be happy. You can be rich and be miserable. You have to understand how to walk with God. God is a God of abundance. That abundance manifests itself in a lot of different ways. But God is going to be there for you if you trust him and walk with him. Back in July of this year, I, I was at a Jesus Culture Conference. We took uh, uh, some of our students, some of our staff went, and there was about three nights there of it. And on the last night, there wasn't any room to sit where I was uh, with the group. So Tammy and I went over, and we sat with some other people we knew. And, and I was sitting there. It was the last night. It was, it was kind of toward the end of the evening. And... Uh, God just spoke to me, and, 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 and I had a mental picture. It was such a powerful mental picture, I literally took a picture of it. I just took my camera out, and I took a picture. The lights were down low in this, in this huge auditorium, the Gibson Theater down there, and, and I took a picture of it, and because God spoke to me and said, this is what influence is going to be like in five years. And I said, what do you mean, God? I said, they're going to be sold-out, committed worshipers for Christ. I said, well, there's a lot of people. And do you mean a lot of people? And he said, yes. I said, well, that's going to be hard to ram all these people in the post office. He said, we'll take care of that. Don't worry. I want to read you a scripture. Then I want to show you that image that I took that night. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 18 and 19. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you. Did you hear that? He said, I want, I want to charge you and I want to remind you about the prophecies that were made concerning you. He's not talking about prophetic things in the future, like 
Ezekiel would have prophesied or, or Isaiah would have prophesied. He says, things have been spoken to you, Timothy, and I want you to be aware of what they are. And then he goes on to say that by them you may wage the good warfare having faith and a good conscience. So when, when, when a prophecy is spoken over us, someone is not, it is not on the level of the word of God. It is not on that level at all. Only the word of God is inspired and true without any doubt. But God gives insight to people and sometimes God speaks to you and sometimes God will give you a prophecy and say, Phil, this is what it's going to be in five years. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to do that for you. So here's the picture. Here's the image. Now, I want you to just keep that image up for a minute if you can, because I want to see, I want to read now what happened just last week. You know, we have a prayer team and they meet from about 8.30 to 9.30 every Sunday morning in the next theater over. And uh, one, of the, one of the ladies in there uh, had this impression, this, this, this real, God spoke to her and she wrote it down. Now, she had, didn't know about what I was just told you. She had never seen that picture, but here's what she, she wrote. On Sunday, October 13th, at the end of the prayer team uh, session, I had a vision of the new church stage area and the worship center. My vision was from standing in the back of the worship center, looking at the front of the stage. I didn't see anyone standing on it, but I saw the brightest light I've ever seen shining from it. Instinctively, I knew it was the Holy Spirit. The worship center was packed with people, but I only saw their silhouettes from the shoulder up Every person had their hands raised high, and I saw layers upon layers of hands lifted high. Their silhouettes were solid black. The people seemed desperate. They were praising God and waiting on him to speak to them. It seemed as though they needed an answer and immediate help. That's that. It was a confirmation God was up to something. I don't understand how God works. If you got God figured out, congratulations. Every day I'm reminded of that passage in Isaiah 55. It says, my ways aren't your ways. My ways are past finding out. I want to get in God's ways and say, God, show me how all this works. He says, you couldn't figure it out if I showed you. Smith Wigglesworth, great name. Love those great British names. Like Hudson Peller and not British, but, you know... Somebody just got goofy with the spelling, I'm sure, just said, let's add a couple of more things on there. <laughs> the power of God, here's what he says, the power of God will take you out of your own plans and put you into the plan of God. The power of God will take you out of your own plans and put you into the plan of God. You know when it's your plan. It feels like it's your plan. You push to make it happen. But when God begins to work in a way that's his plan, it just kind of flows. It just flows. I got a report last week. I said, you know what? Those bathrooms in our new building are ugly. We've got to do something about them. By Monday, they were demoed. The tiling will probably be done this weekend. And I thought to myself, you know, I just made a statement, and all of a sudden people responded and God, and that's how it is with God. God just says, I'm going to make a statement. Here's a plan. And all of a sudden now it's just going to start to unfold. But people step up, pay for the tile. I mean, it was just a miracle. That's what God does. When you get in God's plans, he, he, has, he has people that step up. They're called angels. They're called saints. 
They're called the body of Christ. I said, I'm just going to go ahead and dispatch it. You, you believe here on earth, but you receive in heaven, and then I'll dispatch it at the right time. That's how it works. Believe here on earth, receive in heaven, take it off heaven's shelf, say, here it is. He says, all right, hand it to me. Now I'm going to send my angels, I'm going to dispatch my courier service to you when you need it at the exact right time, which is never on time from my calendar. Every game in life is the biggest game. Every game in life. It's big. It's big. I've got more Hot Wheel cars in my house now from Cruz and Crosby. I look at stacks of books. How did he get a car there? You know why? Because every game in his little life is big. It's big. And it was, when I saw that little car here and that little car there and, and they're everywhere and I step on them in the middle of the night, there's cars everywhere. I don't care where, you know, right under the bed. And you st- oh, man, another car. Every game is the biggest game of life. Play to win. It may be a struggle. You may be going through a struggle right now. Trust God. Determine you will win. It will provide confidence to move forward in life. You're going to win in the power of God. Endurance is the key to crossing the finish line. You can expect victory when you plan to win. You can expect defeat when you plan defeat. If you accept defeat, then that's what you'll get in life. No dream is too big for God. Cast a big, big canvas on your life. And then just begin to trust God for the little things as you go and see what God can do. You see, when we refuse to call on Jesus, we forfeit the dream that God has designed for us. What's the dream God has for you? Is it time to act? Is it time to believe and trust God for the unbelievable, the unachievable, and only God can do? And you say, but you don't know my situation. I don't. Not in in full, I don't. But I know God. If I know God, I know he can handle your situation. Because you're not the only one in life that struggled. But God has been there, and God will be there for you. He'll make a way when there seems no way. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, as we we stand here before you, it's time for us to act on your power, act on your dream for us, God. You hold Uh, You've woven into us a destiny and a truth, God, that we need to put our arms around. God, we need to access your power. We need to realize there's a commitment to follow Jesus. It's not easy. If it were easy, it wouldn't wouldn't include a cross. So God, I'm going to ask each person here if they'd be willing to take up their cross today and follow him. Remember, something's got to die. That's what a cross is for. It may be a piece of jewelry we wear around our neck, but it's more than that. It's something you die on. What has to die today for you, for you to follow Jesus? Would you right now just give it to him? Just hand it over to him. Your will, your desire, your happiness sometimes has to be given to him before he can resurrect and give you joy. Do you know Christ? 
Do you know Him as your Savior and your Lord? Are you holding on to opinion, being right? You see, to follow Jesus, to really be a Christian, to be a believer, you have to die to self and say, I, I give up my life, God, that I might follow you. I believe that you died, were buried, and rose from the dead for me to have life. And now I die to myself in order that I give my will over to you, and your will can be my will. Would you follow Jesus? Would you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Something's got to die. It's time to act. Time to act. As we sing about the cross, just let that action rise up inside of you and say yes to Jesus.